Good morning, folks, and uh, welcome to uh, Friday on the fourth week of Lent, the meditation taken from or based on Richard Raw's uh, Wondrous Encounters, Scriptures for Lent. Um, this week it's called The Demonization of Threatening Other, and scriptures are Wisdom 2, 1a, 12 to 22. Now, you won't find that in an ordinary Bible. You would need to get hold of a Bible with an Apocrypha, okay? Um, but you can look it up on Google, which is what, how I found it. Um, the, the, the wisdom book is not included in the regular canon. And then John 7, verses 1 to 2, verse 10 and 25 to 30. I'll say that again. Wisdom 2, verse 1a and 12 to 22. And John chapter 7, verses 1 to 2, at 10, 25 to 30. Okay, so I will read the uh, passage as usual. We have perhaps read the studies which show that once a group has decided to differentiate itself from another group, the rules of conversation change towards that group. We are inclined to believe the worst of them. Paranoia and conspiracy theories soon abound. They are fair game for the commentators and our chosen mistress looks, like, looks for any justification whatsoever to fear, hate, or even kill. Soon any defensive or even offensive attacks towards that person or group are fully rationalized and justified. It is a rare person who can stand uninfluenced by this field of gossip and innuendo. This is the sad pattern of human history. It is just such an atmosphere that is presented in both readings today as we near the climactic events of the Holy Week. The taunting verses from the Book of Wisdom sound familiar to most Christians because they are the backdrop of the crucifixion scene. If he is the Son of God, then God will defend him. In the full text, we read a kind of bravado and defiance daring the, per, the just person to prove himself. It feels like the school bully mocking the classmate who might be smarter, more popular, or even more mature. For some strange reason, fearful humans are threatened by anyone outside of their frame of reference. They are always a threat and must be brought down. The same pattern is then found in the gospel. So strange that even religious authorities can speak openly of wanting to kill Jesus, and the crowds even openly know about this. What has religion come to? Vengeance is often an open but denied secret when fear and gossip reign in a society. Every attempt is being made to discredit Jesus, and even his family of origin which is a very common pattern. In brackets, the whole of John might give you even more of the feeling of malice and intrigue than the selected passage here in the lectionary, close brackets. 
Jesus is slowly being isolated for the attack. He moves, he moves around secretly. You can feel his loneliness and his anguish, and all he can do is claim his true origins to deaf ears. In these days, we are being invited to share in the passion of Jesus and in the aloneness and fear of all who have been hated and hunted down since the beginning of time. Okay, so that's the end of his commentary. There is a lot here, but the core theme is really about um, discrimination. You see images of uh, anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jews, um, the Afro-American intolerance and uh, racism. Racism in our own country taking its various forms and levels. And it's so true that uh, when we decide that we don't like someone or we disagree with some group of people, that we tend to distance them and draw around us people who think like us um, and then start to have this uh, feeling of hatred towards this group in some way seems to intensify. Now there is a specific uh, concept in psychology called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive being in your head and dissonance being you know, an unsettled kind of feeling. And what it means is exactly what they're saying here. It means that when someone feels differently to someone else, so say someone is not religious and someone is religious, then that person who builds this hatred or distance between themselves as not religious and people who are religious, then they start to generate this conversation with themselves that justifies their position. Okay? So when we have cognitive dissonance, there's a natural um, response to um, confirm our belief in ourselves. In other words, to make ourselves believe that we are doing the right things, to justify what we are doing and thinking. Okay, and then we have this situation where we have these two uh, groups of people, two individuals who have a distance between them. And in this particular passage, it is the righteous and the unrighteous. And in the wisdom pas uh, passage, you will see it very clearly said, and I think I'm very sure that they are talking, they are the Pharisees who hated Jesus and who actually brought about his demise on the cross. And they are, um, there's mockery in a lot of what is said. And they are um, mocking the, the, the position that Jesus has taken because they feel actually on the basic level inferior to him. He could do things that they can't. Uh, he has these followers who believe he is the Messiah and they don't believe he is the Messiah and they don't want to believe he's the Messiah because then they have got to accept that he is a better person than they are. So there's this division set up 
with the one side hating the other side, okay? Have you ever experienced in your life, and I know I have quite a lot, I have to confess, when you take a dislike to someone, so much so that you actually can't look them in the eye. Um, I certainly have experienced that. Now your reason for taking a dislike to that person and my reason is not necessarily affirmed and it is certainly not affirmed in God because we are to love one another. So when you find yourself in a position like that, you've got some serious spiritual reflection to do, whether it's a person or, or a group. And then just look at the example that I've used a lot in these meditations because it's very topical. You look how Vladimir Putin has decided that he hates the Ukrainians. There is a a wonderful uh, modern time example of what is being talked about in this um, passage. And what happens, this is taking place in in Holy Week, just before the the crucifixion. And Jesus, in the John passage, has gone to the temple. He's preaching in the temple. He's very afraid that he will be found. Um, But he is found and nothing happens to him right then and there because the last verse of the John uh, reading tells us that um, it was not his time. Okay, so... The whole crucifixion would unfold very soon after that. And Richard talks about this mockery, or um, he calls it a kind of bravado. Um, In the full text, we read of a kind of bravado, or mockery and defiance, daring the just person, Jesus, to prove himself. Now, Jesus, God doesn't like to be tested. He, you know, if you try to test God, it will invariably not end well. God wants unfettered faith from us. Richard says it reminds him of the school bully mocking the classmate who might be smarter, more popular, or more mature. And don't we see that in, in school a lot? And that is what I warned my stepdaughter about because she is. Not only beautiful outside, but beautiful inside and very, very bright. And she will be singled out for this kind of um, um, hatred or distancing because people feel inferior when she's around. And when, when people see someone as a threat, and, you know, if you are in any kind of... Uh, minority, marginal, disenfranchised group, you will have experienced this. When, um, when somebody, um, if you're a woman, for example, you will be found, if you're a woman who's intelligent and competent, you will often go through this experience of being isolated and distanced because uh, possibly men mostly would, um, would find you a threat and uh, want to bring you down. I hope I haven't offended anyone in saying that, but I'm just trying to find an example that we experience in everyday life for this thing. So this same pattern is 
found in John in, in John's uh, gospel that is uh, we have we're looking at today. So and this is also something that one sees, you know, that these religious authorities, these Pharisees are able to actually speak openly about wanting to kill Jesus and nothing seems to, to um, be done to them. They don't seem to be chastised or censured in any way. Um, because probably because, you know, the Romans who are the leaders of the, of the law in the country feel exactly the same way about Jesus. He's also a threat to them. So vengeance is often an open but denied secret. This I'm sure you will be familiar with. When, you, when somebody's motive to hurt someone is vengeance, you will always see it, but they will never confess to it. It will always be a hidden, toxic kind of weapon. So what does religion come to when it allows this kind of vengeance to be public and every attempt is being made to discredit Jesus and even his family, which is a very common um, pattern. The whole of John 7 might give you an even more a better idea of the malice and the in intrigue than the selected passage here in the lectionary so Richard is suggesting and I encourage you to go and read that whole of chapter 7 of John um, and you will see um, this how you know how really we can be so affected and so destructive simply because we harbor hatred in our lives and nearly always at the bottom of hatred of um, wanting to hurt people is fear. Fear that we will not be um, as prominent and as competent as they are. Um, fear that uh, they will put us down in status because of their, uh, you know, in elevated status. It's always a fear and it's normally an egotistical fear that brings about destructive responses. Um, so, you know, that's the first place we go to in Lent when we are reflecting on our, our own sin. Um, if, we, if there is someone that we really don't like, if there is a group that we are judging and uh, distancing from, uh, we need to examine our hearts and understand why it is that we feel that way and we should never join in uh, with groups whose purpose is to hurt other people to discriminate against other people in any way we should never as Christians be part of that we should be the wise ones who take the step backwards and we are as they say in this commentary uninfluenced by the emotional responses um, around us. And we should be able to take that, separate our souls in that way and to, to give into the world the idea that actually hatred is not of Jesus. Um, 
that if we actually reflect deeply, we will find that the people we hate, the people we want to take vengeance on, actually have a context that is defensible. Um, they react, as I said yesterday, I think, or the day before, from their own base of fear and insecurity because of the difficult experiences and traumas they've had in their lives. And we have to, once again, get into a mindset where we can be wise enough and patient enough and humble enough to understand the position of the victim. And we should be able to, as Christians, to reach out in love and compassion, and we should not ever judge. That's God's job. Okay, and so with that, at 16, 17 minutes, I will share the uh, prayer with you, which is really rather lovely, the starter prayer. God of loving truth, keep me from the world of gossip and accusation. Do not let me kill others, even in my mind or my heart. There's a lot in that prayer. God of loving truth, keep me from the world of gossip and accusation. Do not let me kill others, even in my mind and my heart. And I would love you to unpack that for yourselves and expand on it in whichever way is meaningful to you because we need to understand the sin of gossip and accusation it's a devilish and very destructive sin and we need to acknowledge to ourselves that we do kill in parentheses others with hatred and distance and that we need to stop ourselves and this is the time in Lent when we need to be doing those reflections and I say God bless and Amen until tomorrow.